Okay, back to the clips. I showed the clip when the kids were in here just because I thought kids would enjoy it. But now we got to go back in our thinking to that clip from Despicable Me when you have Gru. And Gru was the villain, but then he reformed. And one of the results of him reforming was then that he got to experience moments like that. A moment that he wouldn't have been able to experience had he not changed himself. And so we see that in our lives too, I think, when we get our lives straight and start living the way we should be living, moments like that can happen in our lives too. Moments that can't happen when we're not living the right way. I think I'm at a point in my life where I don't know what could happen, and I'm not asking God to test me, but where I would ever lose my faith in God. He has carried me through so many things, and at this point, I would either just have to conclude that I'm delusional and all those things were just made up in my mind in order to not believe. But even feeling that I will never have a point in my life where I stop believing in God, I do find myself with a bigger struggle or my own struggle at times, believing that what God wants is what's best for my life. And this is the tension, I think, that there exists in these theological concepts of free will and God's sovereignty. And if you've been here a while, you will know that we at Riverside definitely believe in free will and that God tells us in Scripture to choose Him, to actually follow Him, to carry our cross and to deny ourselves. And we don't believe that God forces these things on us. And one of the things, though, I think we do when we come to thinking about God and thinking about the way God works, we carry our disappointments with us. Betsy preached, what was it, about a month and month ago or so, and she shared a verse about Jesus and him having joy on the cross. And I was, it just got me wondering and it got me thinking, which brought me then, when I got home reading the Bible, it brought me to the book of James. And the specific con context of the book of James isn't known. But here is what we know about the general context of the early church in which the letter of James appeared. Jesus as we all know, was executed on the cross before he rose again, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came amongst his people to live in us, guide us, and empower us to live the life God made us to live. But we also see in the book of Acts, we see that the death of Jesus was not just a one-off fluke. Killing followers of Jesus and Jesus himself, that isn't just something rare that happened, it seems. Christians were killed throughout that period of history. In the Bible, we have the recorded execution of Stephen, an early follower of Jesus. And many of the followers of Jesus were arrested. James, the apostle, was the first of the apostles to be executed. Paul and Barnabas had to flee cities as they were going around sharing the gospel. And Paul even gets stoned nearly to death. And the book of Acts ends with Paul going to face his trial. And we know that that didn't end well for him. And he was also executed. So it's in this concept of real persecution, of people really suffering for the faith, for really suffering to try and follow Jesus to the best of their abilities, that a lot of the New Testament was written. So let's enter that time and read this message that James wrote. James, the brother of Jesus, not the apostle who was executed. It goes like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. And you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass he will pass away. For the sun rises which is with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. Such a joyful message. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's a ton there, but I want to focus on that very first line a lot. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of all kinds. Count it all joy. And this is really hard. But again, we got to realize that he's teaching this not in some abstract world where they aren't suffering. He's teaching this in a world where maybe the suffering of people following Jesus was even worse than our sufferings. Well, no, we're definitely worse than our sufferings. But count it all joy. God loves to take these bad situations we may find ourselves in. He loves to take the shards of despair and destruction and assemble them into something beautiful, into what they were always intended to be, maybe something better than they were before they broke. And being used by him to bring his kingdom here on earth is kind of what he's trying to shape us to do. But God never violates free will. He doesn't violate our free will. He doesn't violate the free will of others. Although in Scripture, I mean, just as a tangent, we do see him violate the free will of Pharaoh after Pharaoh chose five times not to do what God wanted. So, but the time at which God violates your free will, it's over. I mean, you don't, you don't want to reach the point where God violates your free will. Until then, we can choose or not choose to follow God. But God does not violate our choice when we choose to remain astray, when we choose to remain outside His will. But no matter what we choose, we're always in the potter's hand and He's trying to shape us into what He wants us to be. Even if we keep resisting and keep fighting, He still has good plans for you. And that I hope you always find comfort, no matter how much suffering or whatever situation we find ourselves in. And I want to let you know that this sermon is preached at me way more than at you. I need to strive and find more and more joy in all things. Because God knows all the deepest desires and longing of our hearts. And when our hearts break, his heart breaks too. And I know that when the situation involves a person stubbornly refusing to surrender to God, I know that God provides them opportunities to change. 
I remember I was in a conversation with a person just not too long ago where they were struggling with their spouse and their spouse has free will to not choose to do what's right. And sadly, no matter how much we pray and no matter how much we seek for that situation to become what God wants it to be, one of the people in that situation has free will. Well, they both have free will, but one can choose to remain astray even if one is choosing not to. And all we can be assured of is when we pray. I don't think our prayers come back empty. God will convict. God will work on. But that person can say no, no matter how much we want them to say yes. And so these opportunities that God gives for a people to change, they're often rejected. Which, when we look at the world and the way the world is in, we can see that people reject God's plan an awful lot. This world is out of step with God's will. Not because God doesn't have the power to change things, but because God has chosen to change people's hearts to make the changes He wants to happen. And if things are out of whack whether it is not living in his joy or something else being out of place, it means that we need to change. And you know one thing about God? God absolutely loves change. We as humans, we might not like it that much, but God loves it, especially when it is us allowing him to change us into who he created us to be. I'm reminded of a story from a few weeks back. Who all watched the Shooting Star show when that happened? Brian and Betsy were the only ones that watched it? Man, you were too tired. <laughs> I'm reminded, though, of the shooting stars the other week. And um, I don't know who texts me half the time when I get a message from either Brian or Betsy's phone. It might be Brian, it might be Betsy. So one of them texted me, though, and told me that the shooting stars were happening. And so I was like, great. So Lindsay and I were sitting outside on the patio. And so we moved to a spot to look up to the sky. And because we're in town, you got the bright bank lights, you got the street lights, you got all this light pollution. We could just see lights, not shooting stars in the sky. So we looked up at the sky for maybe three to five minutes, I don't know how long it was, and we just decided we're tired and we went back into the house. <laughs> so I asked Betsy the next morning, I said, so was it neat? And she said it was amazing. And I missed it, despite being notified that it was happening. And not because I wasn't told about it did I miss it. I missed it because I was too lazy to go somewhere to actually see it. And the reason I was too lazy is because I really didn't think it would really be worth it. You know, eh, shooting stars, and I can be that neat. But from what I hear, it was amazing. And I missed it because I doubted that it would actually be as neat that it was, and I didn't go somewhere to see it. And I share this because I think that's a lot of the time how our spiritual lives go. God has a blessing in store for you. He has a path of joy for you to head down. But we just say, God, where's my blessing? Like, I want it. I, I'm out here in these lights. Just show me this right now. But he's like, no, I want you to relocate yourself. I want you to change some things in your life in order for you to get that blessing that I have planned for you. But God's blessings often happen, or probably pretty much mostly happen, when we put ourselves in the path of his blessing, when we respond to what he's prompting us to and what he's leading us to, and we place ourselves exactly where he wants us. Joy is not found in pursuing my own desires, but it is found in pursuing the desires of God. And we get discouraged with God when we don't get the things we want. 
I know I do. And that's where, you know, the doubt that God has the best in store for me. It's just a doubt that God has the same desires I have. And I think it's a pretty good thing that God doesn't have the same desires I have. He has way better desires than me. But we need to make sure that we're putting ourselves in position to receive God's desires, God's blessing, God's joy. Just like I didn't put myself in a position to see those stars that night, we often don't put ourselves in position to receive God's blessings. And I could complain. I could stand up here and say, that shooting star show that they, they predicted, it didn't happen. And they said it would, and I went outside, and I didn't see anything. But it's just because I didn't put myself into a position to see them. They showed up. And we can complain that God's blessings didn't happen. But you want to know what? God shows up too. So maybe the dilemma isn't God. Maybe the dilemma is the place that we're putting ourselves in. Maybe you're addicted to porn. Maybe you're filling your life with negative entertainment. Maybe your core circle of friends aren't Christians and they're negative and they're not trying to build you up in the way of the Lord. Maybe you watch the news too much. Maybe you evaluate your life by other people's lives. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe we fill our lives with so many distractions, so many wrong things. But God may be tugging at your heart right now and telling you what that joy sucker in your life is. Because finding a place where we can receive the blessing of God, receive the joy He wants us to have, doesn't mean that every moment we go through will be enjoyable, though. I remember when Betsy shared, she shared the story of Jesus hanging on the cross and still having joy. And I don't think we would call that enjoyable in any way of which we understand the word enjoyable. But joy is found in knowing that what we are enduring, no matter what it is, will produce the fruit that God wants to produce. Because too often we expect God to just poof our problems away instantaneously. You know, I think we've let, we've let that instant gratification idea of our culture influence the way we interact with God. Like, I sent that person a text message five minutes ago, and they still haven't replied. Oh. And we expect that with God, too. <laughs> we want instantaneous removal of temptation without actually having to change anything of our lives that's causing us to be tempted. We want instantaneous joy without changing any of the things that we're investing our lives in that are actually sucking that joy out of our lives. But, and I'm just really echoing Betsy, and who just echoed scripture, all of these things are just fruits of the Spirit. We gain them from being closer to God. They aren't things that we produce on our own. I cannot produce a blessing from God. I cannot produce the supernatural joy that God wants to give us. Instead, all I can do is place myself into a position to let God give me that. Because joy is not found in just the end results. It's found in the journey. The miracle is never the goal. Jesus is the goal, and the miracles happen on the way. And as we seek Jesus, the miracle may or may not come, but Jesus is the key. Too often, I think we get mixed up on what it means to actually be saved. 
Jesus had a really long prayer in the Bible, and we're going to read a little bit of it. It began like this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you are given him, all you, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Then I'm going to skip ahead to the end of the prayer. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. But this is salvation, that part right there in the middle. This is eternal life, knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not something we have to wait expectantly for. Although there are elements of the perfect kingdom that we cannot experience here right now. But it's here partly, not here fully. But, you know, like when we look out on a day and we see those beams of light breaking through the clouds, the kingdom of God is the same way, breaking fully through the darkness around us at times. And we can live in and experience that. And the beautiful thing about the grace of God, and this is where I don't want you to get too discouraged, like, am I putting myself in the right position? Is God's grace can cover you putting yourself in the wrong position. You know, God's grace can cover you committing sin, and immediately he's like, hey, I still love you. I still have a plan for you. I'm still the potter, and you're still the clay, and I'm going to shape you. And that thing that you just did here, I'm just rubbing it right off. And here we go. I'm going to make you into who I wanted you to be. And that's a beautiful thing about God. No matter what we do, no matter how far we stray, no matter how often we try to put ourselves in the positions and not receive his blessing and grace, he says, hey, I got a plan for you, and I'm going to continue to shape you. I don't care what you do. I'm going to love you and shape you anyway. His grace enables him to bring joy to people like you and me who do nothing to deserve such a blessing. And yet God finds joy in giving us joy. God finds joy in loving us. God finds joy in you. Even you. Even with all the baggage, even with all the hurt, even with all the pain, even with all the stubbornness and refusal to do the right things, God finds joy in us. Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter, faith chapter and it has this tidbit. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and, not, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one, 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Even when things are bad, we can find joy in God. Even in this section in Hebrews where they're talking about the bad things that happen to people, he's telling them that God has prepared for them a city. And we need a faith that can withstand the bad just as much as it can keep us grounded when blessings are abounding. God has prepared for us a city too. And we, as his ambassadors from that city, we live in this fallen world being used by God to bring about that reality here. We need our hearts to waken up to that vision of what God planned for humanity. We need a passion for the things of him over the things of this world. Because it is in that, and only in that, that we can live and remain grounded in the joy that he gives. As James said, when you face trials of various kind, joy in the midst of trials. So don't expect God to just poof problems away, although I like it when he does. Instead, count those problems as joy and allow God to shape you and change you through any problem that you have. Not that God is the source of problems. James actually points that out in that section. But God is in the habit of taking the problem and making it something beautiful. God is in the habit of taking what people intend for bad and turning it into good. I've seen it too many times. And I'm looking forward to seeing it in your lives and our lives as we move forward. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your blessings, even when we don't deserve them. But I just pray that we put ourselves in the place to just live more fully in your blessing and be like blessing dispatchers as we live our lives on people who just overflow with your blessings. And help us to just be people living in you, putting ourselves in the position to just live fully in you. And not just to rely on your grace, although we absolutely depend on your grace, but that we could just live fully in your plan. I thank you for using us despite our failings. And I pray that you would continue to use us. And I pray for those here who need to find the joy in you. Help us all to do that. In your son's name we pray.